Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Mari Ryan. Did I get that right? You got it. Okay. I met her in Houston at a National Speakers Association winter event, and we got to talking about her business and what she talks about and helps educate and communicate about. And I thought it would be a fabulous topic for this podcast. So first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom, I'm delighted to be here. So I was wondering, Mari, if you could talk a little bit about your professional background. Sure. I've spent my entire career in business. I've done a variety of different types of things throughout my career. I've done sales, marketing, operations, management, and I've worked in a variety of different types of industries, including insurance, high tech, and I've with clients I've worked in, seen a lot of different kinds of industries. So my entire career has been in business. A few years ago, I was working as a independent consultant, and I was traveling 100% of the time for almost two years. So I was had my 3,000-mile weeks and my 6,000-mile weeks. And near the end of that two years, I got home and I finally said, this life sucks. This is not what I want to be doing. It was crazy. It was terrible. So I hired a life coach, and I worked with him for a while, and Over that period of time of working with him, I really identified some things that were important to me, what my values, what was really driving me as who I am as a person. And that brought me to the field of worksite wellness and worksite well-being. And I knew worksites because I'd spent my entire career in business. I just had to learn a little bit about wellness, which I did. And after a few years, I went from being the newbie in the field to being an expert. And here we are 15 years later. So one of the things that struck me when I was doing some research for this podcast is some of the concepts and strategies and tactics I'm going to ask you about really are many of the same things that a compliance officer will do in terms of ethical values and corporate culture Mm -hmm. from perhaps a little bit different perspective. So I was really intrigued by your thoughts and really a business model around well-being inside of a corporation. So I was wondering if we could maybe start with how does your business help a company assess their employee well-being? Well, that's a great question in terms of the way that we approach this, because it's really not unlike a lot of ways that businesses take on new projects and really look at assessing, you know, the place from which they're starting. When we engage as Advancing Wellness engages with a client, we have an engagement that has two pieces. The first is really an assessment, and we gather qualitative and quantitative data and really create a picture or a snapshot of the place from which they're starting. What are their practices? What are the policies? What are the benefits? What's the physical workspace look like? What's the culture like? And we're gathering all of that information, either from their existing data or in the case of the qualitative piece, it's really done through expert interviews with the senior leadership team and then focus groups with employees. 
And then we also do, from a quantitative perspective, we'll do a survey to fill in the gaps where we may not have specific information around engagement or interests of the workforce. And we pull that all together. And that, you know, is a report that can be the last one I think I did was like 90 pages long. And then from that, we then move to a strategic planning session. So we take a two-day offsite, we go someplace away from the workplace, and we take all of that information and create a strategic plan that consists of vision, mission, goals, objectives, identifying the infrastructure, communication strategy, a measurement and evaluation strategies, all of those elements that are going to really be essential to create the operating plan that they will need to really carry out creating a culture of well-being in their workplace. So it really also intrigued me that you believe well-being is so critical to the overall success of the business, not simply employee health or even employee mental health. Why do you believe well-being is such a critical component of success for a company? Well, there's a lot of research that's emerging that's really showing us that well-being can serve as a foundational element to the culture of the workplace and to creating business success. So could we agree, Tom, that you need to have engaged employees to create a sustainable business and create sustainable business results? From the compliance officer's perspective, 110%. There you go. So, you know, we know that we have to have engaged employees. And if you think about this from the perspective of sort of a two-by-two kind of thing with well-being being on the x-axis and engagement being on the y-axis, if you've got people in the lower left corner who are not engaged and not feeling well and By feeling well, that's kind of a broad thing because it's not just physical health, it's emotional health, it's financial well-being, it's feeling connected to a purpose, it's feeling connected to other people. So if I'm feeling like I'm struggling, I'm not going to be engaged. And if I'm not engaged, I'm not going to be productive, I'm not going to be contributing to the good of the organization. Whereas if I'm feeling more thriving in my well-being, then I am more likely to be engaged, to be productive, to be connected to the purpose of the organization and making contributions that are going to make for happy customers, happy colleagues, and help everybody achieve their business goals. On your work site, you have some case studies, and I was very intrigued by one. You did not identify the company, but you identified the issue was high stress. And this was identified via employee Mm. surveys. And what I wanted to know is, or at least ask you, starting with that information, how did you put together a action plan to address that and actually come up with data that you could demonstrate that stress had been reduced for the employee base? Well, you know, it's so important in the work we do to be able to create action books, to really find and produce actionable data. Because without that, managers and leaders can't really make the changes they need or want to initiate. So the situation with this employer, they were a large not-for-profit organization. They were working with at-risk youth and providing education and business skills that would allow them to get jobs in the business community. And for five years, they had received information in their annual employee engagement surveys about stress, like the word that described, you know, how you survived in this workplace was to be able to manage stress. So it was clear that there was a very strong message from the workforce that stress was an issue. 
But we needed to really understand that and unpack that to know, well, what was the source of stress? Because when this company came to me, they asked me, do you do stress management programs? And I said, well, we do. But unless we get to the root cause of the problem, you're just going to be wasting your money. We really need to understand what's causing the stress. So through some interviews with senior leaders and then a survey with the workforce, we were able to identify that the nature of their work was they needed to be in a specific place with their students. So think of them as teachers and mentors, but they didn't have much flexibility in their schedules and in where they could work. And what we realized was that if they were able to start to modify their policies and some of their benefits about where employees could work from, so remote working was one of the things, and really flexibility in their schedules was the other thing. You know, if they came in early and were working with students, you know, could they leave a little bit earlier so that they had flexibility in their workday? That's a message we hear so often in the workplace today about employees really wanting to have flexibility. So we gave them the data that they were able to use to actually adopt some policies that were going to really help meet those needs for their workforce. When we met in Houston, you had a copy of your book, The Thrive Hive. And so I wanted to turn to that. And first off, as I ask every author, what led you to write this book? Well, I had this book in mind for actually a number of years before I actually got to writing it and actually did a series of interviews along the way with about a dozen CEOs and asked them about from their perspective, what does it take to create a high producing, high functioning organization? And what really drove me to write this was really wanting to create a vehicle for the message about how well-being really plays a key role in the culture of organizations and in the way that leaders and managers create a workplace that really helps people thrive. So the name of the book is The Thriving Hive, How People-Centric Workplaces Ignite Engagement and Fuel Results. And that's really the message was how you can create these kinds of workplaces where people feel good, they feel connected, they feel like they're really contributing, and the business results follow. Mari, the message that organizational culture is a key driver for business success is one that not only am I familiar with, but I think many of my listeners will be familiar with. But you seem to take that a step further by pointing towards the well-being of the workforce as a key indicia of organizational culture. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Culture, you know, when we think about culture, culture is really the behaviors, the norms, the assumptions, the rituals that we have within our organization. But culture really functions and it works in service of two things. One is purpose and the other is values. So if we think about purpose, that's the big question of why do we exist? Why are we here? What's the contribution that we're making to the world? And this is really something that is outward focused. It's motivational so that people feel it's something that they can really connect to and feel like they are making a contribution in doing this. And it really does contribute to a greater good. So as an example of this, in my book, and it's written as a parable, so it's a business book that is easy to read. It's a story, and it's set in two beehives. So one beehive is the dive hive, and one beehive is the alive hive. 
Now, it's probably pretty obvious where both of us would want to work. But in the dive hive, their purpose is profit. So their entire reason for being is to produce profit. And it doesn't matter if the worker bees get worked to death in order to achieve the profit as long as they make their numbers. As opposed to the alive hive, where the leaders really make it very clear that the reason for being is for the bees to pollinate fruits and vegetables so people have healthy food to eat, thereby creating a healthy world. So you can see there's a significant difference between what that motivational factor is. And the second element of this is values. So values are how we are going to behave to support that purpose. So this embodies what makes your organization unique and differentiated. And the purpose and values work together to form that culture, which really then is how it comes to life. One of the things that I and others in the compliance arena talk about are the concepts of organizational justice and organizational fairness. Mm. It seems to me that you are saying that employee well-being is really a part of organizational fairness and that for employees to feel like they're being treated fairly, they have to feel like their well-being is at least being considered. Would that also be a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely, Tom. You know, people fundamentally want to feel cared for. They want people to notice what they're doing. I did a series of interviews last year, one of the clients I was working with last year in the grocery industry, and they had a workforce of 2,000 people in their corporate setting and another 2,000 employees in their warehouses. And when I met with all of the employees in the warehouses, who happened to be also unionized employees, what they said was they really wanted to be cared for. They wanted to feel that they're being treated as people, that they're being recognized, and that, you know, there's the reward is going to come not only from fulfilling the purpose. I and mean, if you look at the grocery industry, especially the impact that's having today in the way we're really honoring the work of the grocery industry in the midst of the COVID-19 virus, you know, they really wanted to feel like they were making a contribution, but they wanted to feel cared for. And there's a lot of different ways that an, an employer can do that so that that fairness element is really an essential part of what's happening in an organization. You brought up a great point that I wanted to pick up on, which is the current environment we're in, coronavirus, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And how are you, I guess, either how are you counseling your clients to continue to engage in well-being, or what are some of the questions you're getting from your clients that you're having to try to guide them through in this time when almost all of us are working from home? Well, we're in the midst of a crisis, and in any crisis situation, we have to, it's not business as normal. We have to be thinking about things from very different perspectives. I do have some clients that are in the hospital industry, and so specifically working with them to support them in getting other hospitals, wellness managers, and well-being managers together to share information about what they're doing, what resources they're using, so that they can be sharing this across hospital systems and not in, you know, looking at it in isolation. The element from everything we're going to be dealing with during the crisis has to do with stress. And really, if you think about this from the perspective of Maslow's hierarchy. So on the Maslow hierarchy, we've got some very basic things at the bottom. 
well, we've kind of imploded this whole thing because we are really functioning at the very base levels of the Maslow hierarchy. You know, it's about safety. It's about the, the core elements of the things that make people whole, having access to food, having access to, you know, financial well-being from the perspective of all the people that are out of jobs. So we're really functioning at a very base level today. And that's putting stress on everyone, no matter what element of comfort level you're at today, whether you're just at home and, you know, sequestered there and not able to leave, or whether you're, you know, physically ill and actually dealing with the virus, we're functioning at a very different level. That's going to cause a huge amount of stress, both stress in this moment, but then we're also going to have the stress that's going to come once we come out of this. There's going to be many workers and those especially that are, have lost their jobs that are going to be highly stressed because of their financial situation. They're not going to be able to put food on their table. They're not going to be able to pay their rent. So those people are going to need a lot of mental health support. And the employees in the workplace, it's going to take time for us to get back to normal. And for many workers, especially those in the hospital and the healthcare industry who are on the front lines, they're really going to be looking at this as a traumatic event. And they're going to probably need support from a post-traumatic stress disorder type approach. This is not going to end just when people stop getting the virus. This is going to go on for a while. Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I wondered if our uh, listeners wanted any more information on yourself or your company, where can they go? Well, they can find us on the web at ADV Wellness. That's like A Daily Vitamin, ADVWellness.com. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn, so they can find me there and connect. And I'd be glad to share our experiences and approaches that we use to help create thriving workplaces. Well, Mari, this has been a fascinating exploration of wellness and well-being and how that works into a, what I'm going to call an ethical culture. I greatly hope that we can continue the conversation. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.